Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Amen. There you go. It is great to be here with you all this morning as we continue our series entitled, What Makes You Happy? And we've been studying out Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we just finished the Beatitudes and how Jesus taught how true blessedness, true happiness is attained through really the complete opposite of what the world teaches happiness comes from. He talks about how blessed are the the persecuted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And these things, these are what leads to true happiness. And then last week, Sergio talked about how we're just like salt, that we salty, that we're the salt of the earth. And just like salt, we have very similar characteristics of salt, that we're highly valued by God. We enhance the flavor of the lives around us, that through prayer, through worship, we have the power to heal and to be healed. And finally, we can preserve lives around us through God's word. But unfortunately, today is going to be the last day of this series, last day of our series. And I just want to make sure you know that we barely scratched the surface of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Barely scratch the surface. If you keep on reading, Jesus talks about how we're not only the salt of the world, but we're also the light of the world. And if you continue going on, Jesus talks about how he completely fulfills the old covenant law. These are really deep teachings, and I encourage you guys to study out on your own. It's really good stuff. But today, we're going to close out with something a little different. Something that most of us know about. And I've grown up learning about, but we don't hear about too much at church. We're going to talk about anger. Yeah. Anger. And even when I, when, I, when I said the word anger, we're just like, what are you going to talk about today? But anger. Turn the Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. This is going to be our theme passage for this morning. We're going to be studying this out, so make sure you write it down. Anger. You know, in the beginning of this school year, I've, I'm now an official substitute teacher for the Cucamonga School District. I feel very fancy. I like, I'm like official. So I've been, uh, I've been subbing for middle school, like for a middle school, so that's kind of my niche. But this past Wednesday, I actually subbed for elementary school for the first time. And let me tell you, elementary school and middle school are completely different things. Completely different. Just developmentally, they're just completely different. So I was really nervous coming into it on Wednesday. I didn't know what to expect. So I came a little early just so I can talk to some teachers and get some advice. And they helped me a lot, and I was feeling pretty good. So I went and to go pick up the, the students from the drop-off area. I got to walk them to the class. And they're the cutest little first and second graders I've ever seen in my entire life. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so innocent and completely different than the sarcastic and really mean middle school kids I usually deal with. So I was like, this is going to be an awesome day. I came up to them. They're like, you're going to be our sub today? going to be a sub today? And all this different stuff. Like, yes, I am. So I walk them to class. I was like, okay, this is going to be an easy day. These are really good kids, seems like. And I sat them down and introduced myself. And things were actually pretty good for maybe the first 15 minutes <laughs> of class. And everything kind of just went downhill after that, really. Uh, you know, there was a, they just kind of, there's, they, they can't focus, so I have to really be patient and try to help them. And, um, you know, and it was really bad because 
I lost one kid after recess. He just disappeared. And I didn't even notice until I got back to class. And a student was like, Mr. L, Luke is gone. And I was like, what do you mean Luke is gone? I look at his desk, empty. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the worst. So I had to call, call the office. And, and I guess he disappears a lot because he was just like, they were just like, yeah, when he shows up, just let us know. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, and then maybe halfway through the class, uh, the kids were being rowdy. And usually what I do to kind of settle them down is I do, if you can hear me clap once, you can hear me clap twice, you can hear me clap three times. And by the third clap, they're super focused on me. And I did that and no one was clapping at all. And my heart just sank. I was like, oh my gosh, I have lost control of this class. And outside, I was trying to be all professional and like calm, but in, in my head, I was freaking out. But there's this one kid, Vincent. I will never forget his name for the rest of my life. Vinny, they call him. And he was pushing my buttons. He was pushing my buttons. And like he, I would be giving directions to the class and he would mock me. So I would say, all right, class, have a seat. He would be like, all right, class, have a seat. All right, class, listen up. All right, class, listen up. And I was like, I could just feel like this the frustration in my heart kind of build up. And then right before lunch, he was hungry, just like me. I was hungry before lunch too. But he would, in the middle of class, he would be like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Just like that, just repeating it. I'm hungry. And I was like, Vincent, please. You're going to have snack time in a little bit, but just calm down. But he was, he was pushing my buttons. He was pushing my buttons. I could feel this frustration and anger. And of, of course, these were kids, but... You know, it's sometimes just the anger and frustration just comes naturally. It really just comes naturally. You can't control it. And Jesus talks a, lot of, a little bit about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. So hopefully you turn there. This is what it says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus, in this passage, flips our understanding of anger on its head. Because he literally compares anger and murder. Nick talked a little bit about it in the scripture in Mark. That that murder defiles us. And when you think about it, Anger and murder, Chris, those are two completely different things. But Jesus, in this passage, is saying they're not as different as you think. Murder and anger. So we're going to dig into this passage verse by verse and study out, okay, Jesus, what are you trying to get us to understand? And the title of my lesson this morning is, What Makes You Murder? What Makes You Murder? But before we break down this passage, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time, for this space, to be able to worship you and to study out your word. God, I pray that you can soften our hearts as we do our best to understand what you're trying to get us to, to see about anger, about murder. Thank you so much for this time. In your son's name I pray, amen. So let's start from verse 21. Jesus says this, 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So God in the Old Testament made it abundantly clear that murder is is a sin. It's bad. In Exodus, in in the Ten Commandments, that's number six on the list. You shall not murder. I want to make sure we're on the same page, too, of what the definition of murder is. The definition of murder is is the taking of another human life with malice and premeditation. There's a clear, I don't like you, so I'm going to take you out of this world. That's what murder is. So again, God made it clear from the beginning because it's a, not even just in the Bible, but even the world, murder is something that people just shouldn't do. If you walk in the street and ask someone randomly, do you think murder is bad? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say it's bad. But biblically, it is a sin. So Jesus in this passage is, says, you have heard it said because he's talking to a group of people, the Jews, who knew that murder is a sin, just like many of us here today. We know that it's bad. It's really self-explanatory. So he's talking to these people who know this, but you see, many of the people he was teaching was missing the heart of this command. Was missing the heart. Particularly a group of elite Jews called the Pharisees. Again, Nick talked about these people. They're extremely self-righteous. Outwardly, they did everything they needed to do, but the heart they had towards these law was not there. They would simply take commands like this and do everything they could to just not cross the line of murdering someone. They would kind of tiptoe around it. So here's the line, and they would think, okay, I'm not killing that person, but oh man, I really hate them. I haven't crossed it yet, but I hate them. I haven't crossed this line yet, but oh man, I really resent and have these bitter feelings toward that person. But it's okay, I'm good. I haven't killed them. I haven't murdered them. But Jesus completely obliterates this understanding, their understanding of murder in the next verse. This is what it says. But I tell you, but I tell you, don't you love that? Jesus says, okay, you know these things. You've heard that it was said, but this is what I tell you. This is the authority of Jesus speaking. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus broadens our scope of what this murder is. He says, okay, you know that murder is bad. Great. I'm glad you know that murder is sin. But I'm telling you that even the anger that you feel in your heart towards another person is just as bad. The anger that you feel. It's not just the physical act of murder that he's talking about. Jesus is talking about the anger that we feel in our hearts. And then he says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. So Raka is a derogatory Aramaic term, literally meaning like empty-headed. And like the word that first pops in my mind that, that people use today, and I hope I don't get in trouble, but it's like, you idiot. That's the equivalent to raka. You're brainless. You're, you're empty-headed. What's wrong with you? Is there anything in there? And then he says, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You fool, you mortals, you, you, you moron. It's an attack on someone's character. Raka, you fool. So it's not just the anger that we feel in our hearts, it's also the angry words that we say to people. So the common thread in all this is contempt, bitterness, 
the anger that we feel towards someone, that when someone pushes our buttons, just like Vincent for me, when someone pushes our buttons, when you just kind of like, you idiot, man, you're worthless. What is, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that to me? Why did you hurt me in that way? You're brainless. When, when you just you can feel that swell up of anger in your heart, this is what Jesus is talking about. Physical murder is horrible, and I'm not trying to water that down. But God doesn't just look outwardly. He also looks at the heart. So this is, this is what Jesus is trying to say. When someone murders another person, it's full-fledged anger and contempt and bitterness manifested itself in physical form. That it's, it's built up so much in a person, that, that resentment, that they went and they ended that person's life. But before they did the deed, before they killed them, there was a seed of anger. It was a poison, a sickness that they didn't confess, they didn't tell anyone, and ended up growing and growing and growing, and then they ended that person's life. It was a sickness in them. The same anger that we feel sometimes, that same sickness is inside of us. And when I first read this, it didn't really hit me because I'm a, well, I believe I'm a pretty mellow guy, so I don't really have these random outbursts of anger per se. But as I, as I meditated on this concept throughout the week, I just started feeling, I started getting convicted. Because yeah, thank God I haven't murdered anyone, but my heart when I'm angry can be so, so bad. That sin just has a field day in my head and in my thoughts. When someone wrongs me, I can say things like in my head, okay, you're just dead to me, whatever. You're dead to me. You didn't mean as much to me as I thought. So whatever. You're worthless to me. You're fake. You aren't worth my time, so I'm better off without you anyway. And I tell myself this, and I, I try to make myself feel better because, okay, I'd rather say it in my heart than say it to them face on. But according to the scripture, according to what Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm guilty. I haven't physically killed someone, but in a sense, I'm, I'm murdering them in my heart. Think about the words that I said. You're, you're dead to me. I'm better off without you. The world is better off without you. Yeah, I haven't killed them, but my heart, I've murdered them in my heart. And even though probably you guys haven't physically murdered someone just like me, but it, it doesn't mean you're guilty of it. Because before, this is the crazy part, before we kind of separated ourselves from murderers, didn't we? We see them on TV, on trial, and you can think, these guys are just sick. Why would they do something like that? Why would they end a person's life? Why would they do that? But Jesus, in this passage, successfully puts us in the same category as a murderer. Do you guys understand that? That poison, that sickness, that seed of murder is inside our hearts. Our hearts are tainted. That that vase that Nick was showing us, that darkness. If you would put a murderer's heart and our hearts side by side, you wouldn't even tell the difference. You wouldn't even tell the difference. So church, let me ask you this. What makes you murder? What makes you murder? Is it road rage? When someone cuts you off a little bit and you, or you mutter underneath your bed? stupid idiot and you go and try to like race them or something on the freeway I'm guilty of that sometimes and I ride their tail 
or I brake check them if they're behind me. But I'm, I'm kind of murdering them in my heart. Disagreements between strangers or um, food workers, this is something I see a lot and I feel so bad because if you haven't worked in a food industry and you get mad at someone at a food industry for making a mistake, you have no right to yell at them because food industry people go through a lot. I've seen Starbucks workers get chewed out because they forgot to put four pumps of vanilla instead of three. And you hear, you hear what these people are, are saying to these individuals, these workers, don't you work here? Are you an idiot? Why don't you get my order right? And we can kind of write it off saying, oh, well, they should have put the four pumps of vanilla, but they're murdering them in their heart. <laughs> and thank God, not physically, thank God for that. Again, I'm not trying to water down the, the heinous and evil act of actually murdering someone, but our hearts, our hearts are tainted. When your spouse kind of drives you and saying, again, I'm not married yet, so there's only so much that I can say, but I've seen sometimes when spouses and take out the trash or do the dishes and you don't really say anything, but in your heart you're like, gosh, why can't you just do the dishes, idiot? You know, I, I, you know these things like that, and it sounds funny, but there is still these, this anger, this, these feelings you have towards people. Teens, when, when a teacher kicks you out of class, but you weren't the one talking, it was the person next to you, they just saw the wrong voice or heard the wrong voice, and they kick you out of class, and then when you walk into the principal's office, you're like, oh my gosh, teacher, are you, it wasn't even me, what's wrong with you, are you, are you dumb? You're worthless, but you have these different feelings of anger. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but what is it for you? What makes you murder? What makes you murder? Because the list can go on and on. And again, thank God, we don't, when we're having these feelings, we don't go around and, and kill people but that sickness, that poison is in our hearts nonetheless. And this is a, this is a high calling, isn't it? This is, this is a radical teaching because all of us get angry. It's an emotion that we feel. And I, I couldn't go on with this lesson without saying this, thank God for Jesus on the cross. Thank God for Jesus on the cross that he wipes our sin away because of his death, his sacrifice, that when we choose to repent and be baptized, and to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, our past, present, and future sins have been forgiven if we continue to follow him and be faithful. Thank God for that. But the standard Jesus sets is still there. The standard that he lays out for us is still there. What I love about Jesus is that he doesn't leave us hanging here on earth. Even though we fall short every day, even though we're sinners and we're so desperate for grace, Jesus still gives us practicals of, okay, now that we know how we're murdering people in our hearts, this is what we gotta do in response. These are the two practicals that I believe Jesus is trying to get us to see. Reconciliation is greater than religion. That's the greater sign, the little alligator mouth. Reconciliation is greater than religion. And number two, don't wait. Don't wait. So let's continue on in the, in the same passage. We're gonna pick up in verse 23. This is when Jesus transitions a little bit. Reconciliation is greater than religion, verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So this is a pretty baffling statement, I think. Jesus is saying he'd rather you be reconciled with a brother and sister than to accept your offering. That there's really no point of worshiping God 
or performing whatever religious duty that you need to do if there's strife between you and another individual. God doesn't want religious people. Look at the Pharisees again. If anything, Jesus, during his time on earth, criticized the religious people the most. He'd rather you be reconciled with your brother and sister than to do any religious duty that could pop in your head. What Jesus really wants is Christians, disciples who live in peace with one another. He, he talks about this in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, verse 9, remember? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Because you look at the world and the chaos and the war. You look at the world and the violence that's happening around us. The kingdom of God, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is to be different than to be a citizen of the world. Yeah. If, if we're not in peace with one another in the kingdom, what makes us any different than the world and the people of this world. We need to be different. We need to be different. But here's, notice something that's really interesting to me. He doesn't say, if you have feelings toward another person, you need to go and be reconciled with the, that individual. He says, if you know that another brother or sister has something against you, you got to go and talk to that brother or sister. He flip-flops it. Because for me, I can think, man, if that dude has something against me, he needs to come and say it to my face. It's, it's his heart. It's, it's not my heart. He needs to come and approach me. I did nothing wrong. You guys ever feel that way? Just walking around thinking that all not guilty because, oh, it's, it's him. It's not me. And you're just kind of waiting for him to come talk to you in the fellowship. Just like, no, no, not today. Okay. <laughs> but then Jesus flips it around. He says, if you know that someone has some stuff against you, you got to go and approach him or her. But why? Why? Why should we do that? Love this scripture in Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. God calls us to value others above ourselves. And if we truly value others above ourselves, why should we wait and let this anger and, and sickness, this poison in someone else's heart linger if we know it's there? We just learned that when someone is angry and they have bitterness and all these feelings, there is a poison in their hearts. There's a poison in there. And if we truly value them, we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't be, oh, they got to come talk to me and cure themselves, of the, cure themselves of this sickness. You should be, oh, my goodness, they are sick. I need to come and be reconciled with them. What can I do? I love them. I love them so much, and I don't want them to sit this. I don't, I don't know why they feel things towards me. I don't know if I did something wrong or there's something that I did long ago that made them feel this way, but whatever the case may be, I want to go and be reconciled with them. That's the heart that you should have. That's the heart. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to like you, because that's almost impossible. There's, everyone's going to, there's going to be some disagreement sometimes in, in life. And Jesus, in the same chapter, says, blessed are the persecuted. And Jesus himself had people who had resentment towards him. Look at the Pharisees. They're the one that killed him. They're the ones that murdered him. So I'm not saying that 
you got to have be all sunshine and daisies with everyone, but the heart behind it should be, I love that person enough to, in humility, I'm going to go and talk to them and reconcile no matter what it takes. No matter if it's uncomfortable, if it's weird, if that means saying, hey, bro, I don't know what I did, but I, I really want to know and I want to reconcile with you because I don't, you don't have to say this, but I don't want this, this sickness in your heart anymore. I want to reconcile with you because I love you and I value, value you above myself. That's the calling that Jesus calls us to do. So church, I want to challenge you. Not if you know or you have feelings towards someone else, but if you know that someone else has feelings towards you, challenge you to talk to that person. Talk to them. Jesus says, drop what you're doing. I don't want you to offer sacrifice to me. I want you to go be reconciled with this person because I value reconciliation so much more than your religious duty. But now, that doesn't mean that the person who has these feelings say, okay, now I'm going to wait till this brother comes talk to me. I'm going to do nothing and walk away. I'm just, hopefully he comes talk to me today. That's not the point. If you have feelings, go and talk to that person too. Don't just wait. But what Jesus, the, really the point of what Jesus is trying to say is it doesn't, there's two parties of the conflict, but both parties are responsible for the reconciliation, not just one anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. Reconciliation is so much greater than religion. We're going to close out with this, this last practical. Don't wait. Let's finish off this passage. Verse 25 to 26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus says, settle matters quickly. So he's talking about these two people who are going to court, and they should work things out beforehand, before things escalate. If they wait, then they will be, one of them is going to have to be at the mercy of the judge, and even worse, the officer, and finally, even worse, he's going to get thrown into prison. So essentially, the, the longer you wait to reconcile, the worse it's going to be for you. It's kind of like, like a parking ticket. When you get a parking ticket, it's on your dash, and you're just like, man, that's horrible. I have a parking ticket I have to pay now. But if you pay it that day of, you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. But let's say you wait. Let's say you put it off. You just put it in the back of your car and forget it's there. Things are going to escalate, right? You'll probably get a court date to go and talk to a judge. And let's say you don't show up to the court date. You'll probably get your license suspended, right? You still, you still don't wait. There's probably going to be a warrant for your arrest, and then they'll throw you into prison. But if you just bit the bullet in the front end, all that stuff would have been avoided. If you didn't wait. You see, this is the same with our anger. This is the same with our bitterness. The longer we let it fester, the more it's going to grow, the more it's going to grow, and the worse off you're going to be. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We are called to live at peace with one another and to make sure that no bitter root grows up. So you think about a bitter root. You plant it in the soil. You know, you're hoping that it grows. And when it grows... 
it's going to produce bitter fruit because it's a bitter root. The fruit that's going to get produced from the soul is going to be bitter. Same thing with our hearts. If you have this bitterness in your heart, the things that's going to exude out of you, the things that are going to come out of you is going to be bitter. And according to Scripture, it will cause trouble and defile many. So these are kind of my observations when I see someone who has bitterness, a bitter root in their heart. Usually when someone's bitter, they get bitter and critical of other things too. Ever see that? Like when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're bitter about something, you just can't help but to be bitter about everything. Yeah. It just ruins your day or your yeah. week or your year or whatever the case may be if you hold on to this bitterness. And the result of that, Scripture says, it defiles many. When you're bitter, it's hard to love someone when they're bitter, isn't it? You guys have that, ever have that, that negative Nancy friend? was so hard to be around because they always have something to say. You'd be hanging out at Disneyland and everything's awesome and they're like, it's hot. It's hot. The lines are too long. Mickey Mouse was two inches shorter than when I was a kid. What is wrong with that? And they got critical because I don't know what the bitter root was, but everything that just comes out of them is bitter. And it's hard to love people like that. It defiles many. It causes trouble. Or here's the kicker. One thing that I see a lot too when there's a bitter root that's in someone is that when you're bitter, it kind of takes you away from your relationship with God. Because now it's not about God, it's about that person. It's about that person who wronged you. And you're here worshiping God. You're listening to a sermon. But you can't think, you can't stop thinking about this, this person. Oh my gosh, this, this person did this, this person did this. And instead of worshiping, instead of connecting to God, you're so focused on them instead of God. Instead of God, you're so focused on this person and how they wronged you, and it just rips you away from God, and God is just left standing here. What about me? That's not worth it. It's not worth it. Bitter roots, bitter roots are dangerous. And again, church, I want to challenge you, if there's some bitterness in your heart, don't wait any longer. Do not wait any longer. Because the longer you're going to let it sit, the longer you'll let it grow and grow and grow, it'll, worse off it'll be broken marriages, broken families, children who don't trust you. These things can escalate. We've got to be able to rip this bitter root off and replace it with something pure. So church... The calling to be a citizen of the kingdom is high, isn't it? It is extremely high, almost impossible at times. But again, I'm going to say this again and again. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. And again, I don't, I don't mean if it, if it comes off like I'm, it's just like a super difficult lesson to hear, but this is what the scriptures say. This is what the Bible says, and I'm just presenting it to you. But if you're visiting here with us, this is your first time here I know you didn't expect that you're going to talk about murder at this service. But if there are some heartstrings that have been pulled and there's bitterness in your heart and you want to learn, okay, what can I do to get this bitterness out? I want to encourage you that the scriptures can bring you to life. That you're surrounded by people who are broken, who are desperate, and have no clue how to live this life, but know that Jesus is good, God is good. And through his grace, through his mercy, we have a chance to get into heaven. 
And if you want to study the Bible, if you want to learn more about Jesus and his scriptures and more about Matthew 5 and what the Bible teaches, what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like, talk to someone here. Set something up and study the Bible because God has so much, so much plans for you. And not to sit and have this bitterness, have anger, have these murderous seeds in your heart, but he wants to give you a life, a blessed life, a happy life. But anger, anger can rip you away from that. So church, we talked about a lot of things today. Our idea of anger is completely different than what Jesus thinks about anger. That when we're angry, we have poison, a sickness in our hearts. But Jesus gives us practicals of how we can respond to this anger. That he believes reconciliation is so much greater than religion. And if you have anger or bitterness in your heart, go and be reconciled with that person. And not only that, don't wait any longer. Don't let this bitter root grow, but uproot it and live a true and happy life. But church, what makes you murder? To God be the glory. Thank you for listening to the IE Church of Christ podcast. If you would like to connect, you can follow us at iechurch.com or look up IE Church Riverside on Facebook for more information.